1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: You'll know that we're heading for a national referendum later this year, probably between October and December. We'll be asked to have our say, yes or no, on having a First Nations voice to be included in our Australian constitution. The Prime Minister says it would be made up of a standing body to advise federal parliament on laws that affect the Aboriginal community. The alternative argument says such a move will set a dangerous precedent that can affect the governance of the whole nation. It appears that while everyone wants the best outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, There is a real division as to whether a yes vote may deliver unintended bad consequences for Aboriginal people and create a permanent wedge between Australians. Well, our special guest today is Gabriel A. Moens, an expert in constitutional law. Gabriel A. Moens is Emeritus Professor of Law at the University of Queensland and served as Pro-Vice-Chancellor and Dean of Law at Murdoch University. He's the co-author of a seminal work, The Constitution of the Commonwealth of Australia, Annotated. I might make a special welcome to Professor Mowens. Uh, Gabriel, welcome back to 2020.
2: Happy to be here.
0: Gabriel, let's start with something perhaps big picture. Where do you see things standing? Even as we sit here today, where do things stand, do you think, with The Voice nationally?
2: Well, as you said, Neil, there is definitely going to be a referendum, probably between October and December of this year. In fact, uh, the enabling legislation was introduced into the House of Representatives last week, and the legislation has now been sent to the Senate, where I assume a number of people, including Jacinta Price, will speak against it. Uh, The Prime Minister has also announced that $9.5 million will be spent on the education of Australians with regard to the voice project. Now, in my view, education is a misnomer. It's more like indoctrination. Because I cannot possibly assume that the government will make any arguments in favour of the no case. So that is where we stand. The, disba- the debate is ongoing and it will become fierce. My suspicion is that people
0: will smell a rat when there is only money that is allocated for a yes case and mm. no money allocated for a no case And from what I understand with that money's allocated, $9.5 million, it's sort of into an ethereal type of a fund that really isn't about the yes case, but it's actually promoting the values of the yes case. So uh, so you might say uh, there's something there that looks a little bit sinister because it's not designated yes case or no case. That might be a concerning thing when you're yes. coming to an, a national
2: referendum where you want people to cast a yes. vote. Yes, it definitely looks sinister. There have been 44 proposals to change the constitution in Australia since 1901. Eight have been successful. Now, on every occasion when there was a successful referendum, both parties supported the proposed change, And... In those days, you know, the yes case and the no cases were discussed by all the political parties. People would have received a pamphlet outlining the advantages and disadvantages of the yes or the no campaigns. And people were able to make up their minds as to which way they wanted to go. It would appear that on this occasion this is not going to happen. Indeed, uh, I have been told, but I have not uh, verified it, that uh, people who make a donation to the Yes campaign will be able to claim a tax exemption, uh, whereas those people who donate to the No campaign will not be able to have a tax discount or break. Now, this is uh, unfair if that is indeed the case. It is unfair, and on that basis alone, people, in my opinion, should oppose the project. Because they would feel as though they are not informed
0: appropriately by the incumbent government around an issue of such national significance uh, that there's only funding for one side. Yes. Uh, When there is only funding for one side, um, when you smell a rat... um, And you respect the fact that, uh, you know, if there's funding for one side, then that politicises the whole issue, doesn't it? Because the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of Australia are politicised if there's not equal funding. So, and perhaps, you know, some will say, well, isn't that. You know, this is what's been promised by the Labor government. You might assume that the Labor government will fund its own side but not the other side. Uh, What about this thought about politicising what is happening here or the politicised outcomes of constitutional change?
2: Uh, Yes, at the moment there are about 300 aboriginal quangos, uh, that is bureaucracies, uh, the the members of which uh, help uh, aboriginals in this particular country. And my view is that people who are disadvantaged definitely must be assisted by government. But the point is that in Australia there are so many people who are disadvantaged. That includes indigenous people and non-indigenous people. Uh, If only one group in society is going to receive government funding and government assistance, then the process is definitely politicized. My view is that everyone in this country, regardless of race, should be assisted by the government and it should not be the case that only people who belong to a certain race will receive preferential treatment. You see, Neil, the problem is, you know, that if the voice were to be successful, then burdens and benefits will be distributed on the grounds of a person's race, which is a characteristic over which people have absolutely no control. It should be irrelevant in our society. We should really establish a colorblind society where all people are treated equally. There must be political equality in this country. It is the only way in which it is possible to unify all different races that live in this country. You make such a powerful point that seems to be
0: missed in a lot of the debate you might read about or see Mm. on your television screens that what is coming drives a wedge between people in Australia and yes. you know if we're talking about a christian view the christian view is that there are not multiple races there is one race created man and woman uh, created in the image and likeness of god so the first place that a christian might start is that uh, if we are one race we need to be developing nurturing promoting a oneness of a people rather than bring about this sort of division. So this sort of division, uh, this is very challenging, and I'm wondering whether, uh, because you've got such a wonderful broad view of history and uh, international history at yeah. that, whether this type of uh, referendum or change has been successful anywhere else in the world? Um, Is there anyone else around the world proposing such a thing when when you've got this sort of wedge, this division that is going to divide people?
2: Yes, uh, Australia obviously can learn from other countries. There is uh, definitely one other country where the same uh, system has been tried. Namely, across the ditch in New Zealand. In 1975, the Waitangi Tribunal was established, which is basically the equivalent, the New Zealand equivalent of the Voice. Uh, it started out as. Uh, a non-binding advisory group to the government, but uh, since 1975, it has been able to arrogate to itself many uh, rights, you know, now they make pronouncements about taxation, about social welfare, about climate change, anything you can possibly think of, it is uh, very much embedded into uh, the New Zealand society, and they run to some extent uh, the government as well. Now, you may not know this, but Uh, five members of parliament uh, in New Zealand, or five seats, are dedicated to Maoris. So, In other words, uh, the general population can't run for these seats because they are dedicated to, allocated to uh, Maoris. Well, the question should be asked whether perhaps in the future, say in 20 years from now, if The Voice were to be successful, we might have a parliament where, say, five or ten seats will be uh, dedicated to uh, indigenous people. Uh, Is that right? I, I don't think so especially considering that at the moment there are already 11 uh, Indigenous uh, people serving in the Parliament, and they are serving well. Now, in fact, uh, uh, Indigenous people are over our pa- in our Parliament at the moment. It is a
0: relevant argument to talk about the number of Indigenous people who are in our Parliament yeah. at the present time, but in the next election cycle... They Could all be removed, and we could have no Indigenous people representing us in the parliament. So, does it mean that even though, uh, you know, if even if there is a no vote, somehow or other, there needs to be some way of uh, putting in place an ability for Indigenous representation at parliamentary level? Uh, I know that, uh, you know, smacks of the thought of uh, undermining our uh, our democracy and uh, the processes that we have. So it's not an easy one to have any resolution for.
2: No, not. But uh, as I said earlier, Neil, uh, yeah, we already have uh, hundreds of uh, bodies, uh, indigenous bodies, that provide advice to the government. And if The Voice were to be successful, it would be a mega kwangu a mega-administrative uh, entity, you know, that will be superimposed upon the existing bodies that already exist you really have to ask yourself the question, uh, will that body, if it were to be successful will it be able to do anything of a value to the indigenous people will it stop the riots and the crimes in Alice Springs, will it improve education of indigenous people, will it uh, uh, deliver better health outcomes uh, 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 what will it do for the indigenous people, will it indeed promote their life, will it improve their lives? Not very likely, I would say, because a bureaucracy has a tendency only to look after themselves, the elites, and not the people who actually need to rely upon government assistance. So when we already have
0: all of these layers of bureaucracy, I have heard the argument that... Uh, creating a voice to the Parliament is simply another level of bureaucracy. And maybe it absorbs uh, people from other levels but and makes a super level of bureaucracy. But, but as you say, there's no guarantees that anything that will be decided or extra funding even filters down into those communities which we might all recognise are in desperate need And this is one of the complaints, isn't it, from the Aboriginal community? All this money is being spent on Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander issues, but why is it not actually finding its way into communities and helping people right at the the place where they need it?
2: Yes, uh, that seems to be a perennial problem. Uh, You mentioned uh, earlier on that it would be a body that would provide advice to the Parliament, but we have to ask ourselves the question, What does advice actually mean? Does it simply mean there is an obligation on the Parliament to seek the advice of the voice, or does it mean that the voice must actually give advice? If it is the latter, if you were to argue that advice must be given, then the voice would be able to frustrate legislative efforts simply by adopting the convenient device of not giving an opinion at all. Now, if so, one could say uh, that uh, the voice would be able to arrogate to itself a veto power, a veto legislative power, and it would in fact become a third chamber of parliament. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson.
0: On Vision Christian Radio. We're talking about the voice. You've got an opinion, you've got an opportunity to have your say and make a contribution to our conversation today. Our special guest, Gabriel A. Mowens, an expert in constitutional law, one 316 Gabriel, let's take a call. Yes. Sue is in Kingston in Tasmania. Hi, Sue. Welcome.
3: Hello, Neil, and hello, Gabriel, and thank you for this uh, program. I've only just turned the radio on, and um, it's piqued my interest immediately because I have a passion to see things change for the Aboriginal people, having lived and worked with them. And having spent two weeks in Alice Springs in November, at the time they brought 43 additional police in. My concern is that there's not enough knowledge uh, in respect to their spiritual nature and I'm certainly not one who's got any legal background but I do believe that given the contentions and the division that exists amongst so many of the Aboriginal communities or clans, particularly here in Tasmania, that if they at least have a voice it gives them a, a platform to, to work from and work forward with. A lot of the Aborigines, or a certain number, are saying they want treaty first, but that could be many, many years before it's possible. I see is it given a voice, and if we as white fellows are using some common sense based on the teachings of Jesus and an understanding of our spiritual nature and needs, And given what's happening in so many of the Aboriginal communities, where they are turning to God in droves. Uh, You've probably heard of the cross that's been erected in the Northern Territory. Yes,
0: Memory Mountain in the Northern Territory. Very significant thing that's happening Mm. with Aboriginal communities there, yes. Uh, so yeah, let's let's get, uh, let's get a thought or two here for Sue Gabriel, uh, as you're hearing Sue reflecting on these things, and uh, you know she's got a lot yes. of thoughts. And uh, yeah. what are your what are your thoughts for
2: Sue? Well, uh, yeah, Sue made some very important points. Uh, the first important point is that uh, clearly our society should do whatever is possible to improve the plight of Aboriginal people and indeed all people who live in Australia. uh yeah, However, we are living in a secular society at the moment. You know, it is not uh, imbued with uh, religion or religious issues. And that may well be a problem in the sense that it is uh, necessary to look at it from a secular point of view as well as a spiritual point of view. Now, one of the points that I would like to make in this context is that if there is a voice then the government will obviously have to decide who is going to be a member of the voice. And uh, that is a major issue. I would have assumed that Aboriginal people, or at least Indigenous people, would be members of the voice. But what that means is that the government would have to make a decision Uh, would have to adopt guidelines to determine who is and who is not Aboriginal, who is and who is not Indigenous, you know. Now, that smacks of Nazi Germany, if you ask me, because that is precisely what they did in Germany in the 1930s. Uh, They developed guidelines and laws to determine who is Aryan and who is not, you know. If we are going to go down that path in Australia we will adopt a a policy or a strategy which is anti-religion, I think. If Jesus were to be alive, surely he would want everybody to be treated equally. He want everybody to live in a country where burdens and benefits are distributed equally to all people in need, regardless of race, because race is a characteristics over which we have no control whatsoever. Uh, just come back to
0: our caller Sue uh, in Kingston in Tasmania. Sue, uh, you were mentioning spirituality of Aboriginal people and uh, there's some division there because there is a sort of a uh, an indigenous spirituality that doesn't look exactly like Christianity. It's got a few similarities, mm. but as you say, there are so many who are coming to faith in Christ even right now, uh, just uh, any thoughts here from you on what you see as happening in Aboriginal peoples? Is, is yes, it I, Sue. I see.
2: Yeah, go oh, on, go, go, on yes. go on, Sue.
3: Thank you. I see that the Aboriginal people come to an understanding of Jesus in a far simpler manner than we do um, in the Western culture. Um, they, they have this spirituality that leaves them very open to God anyhow, the, the, the spiritual element. And I've come across many Aboriginal people who are thirsting for that truth. And when they hear about Jesus and the Gospel message and what God wants on earth for all mankind, they resonate with it immediately and they respond accordingly. And I think we've got such a toxic history with religious falsehoods and with wars and terrible, terrible things that have been going on for centuries. We have to look at the indigenous cultures generally and look at the lives they had pre-colonization. So if we use some common sense and some wisdom, the spiritualists, that's written very clearly of in the New Testament can be embraced. So it brings forward a more united uh, relationship with God, with Indigenous and non-Indigenous, without the shackles of religiosity. And that's what I truly believe is needed.
0: Sue, you raise some important points around spirituality and uh, even going back to that Uluru statement of the heart Uh, which is where this idea of a voice to the Parliament and uh, beyond that, a treaty, and beyond that, uh, truth-telling, these sorts of things you might say are all one, but we're only treating one part of that too. So a spirituality in the mix is really an important part of the conversation because as Christians we think that we want to support a spirituality, but actually the spirituality that comes from some elements of the Aboriginal community is very far from Christianity. And uh, there are critics who say, well, that doesn't look anything Christian. That looks more pagan than Christian. Uh, And yet we've got this major uh, foundation in Aboriginal communities, which is Christian. The conflicts within within Aboriginal communities often come between clans and tribal uh, conflicts, And uh, the way they've resolved those over the years looks a little bit more like our Old Testament, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, The sort of, uh, you know, uh, payback uh, system that happens there. So just to come back to our special guest, Gabriel, the Aboriginal community isn't united together. They come from different faith and spiritualities, different clans and tribal Mm. outlooks, Um, thoughts of there being a glowing, wonderful time of their past not necessarily something that's easily proven. Any thoughts here for how that might look if the, tr- the constitution changes?
2: Well, if you look at Aboriginal history, there were many conflicts uh, in the past between Aboriginal groups and tribes. They spoke different languages and often they were in serious uh, conflict with each other, even of an armed nature. This is a point that is often overlooked. Now, the, the speaker I, uh, uh, we listen to seem to assume that Aboriginal people uh, consist of a homogeneous group. It is not a homogeneous society. There are many groups and subgroups, uh, and, you know, Some of them may be in favor of the voice. And there are many Aboriginal people who are against the voice. And some of them are sitting in Parliament. You you know, when you go to the Northern Territory and you uh, you, um, talk to Aboriginal people, many of them have never, ever heard about the voice. They do not know what is happening in Canberra they do not know anything at all, uh, what they are interested in is to receive assistance from the government so they are able to lead a meaningful life which will make them independent of government. That is the best thing we can do for people in general, that is indigenous people and non-indigenous people, to provide them with assistance so as to ensure they are able to, To lead an independent life, not a life, you know, that is dependent on government handouts. That is what we really should be aiming at. Is it the case
0: then that if there is no homogeneity about an Aboriginal people, because there are all of these clans and tribes, there is division, as you say, Mm. uh, Gabriel, there are some people in Aboriginal communities only just hearing about The Voice now. Is this one reason to suspect that whatever body might be set up post a yes win uh, would actually be driven by people who are not as connected with Aboriginal people and culture and the needs as what they we might hope they would be?
2: There is definitely no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, you were talking about the Uluru statement from the heart. There were some very well-known Aboriginal tribes in Alice Springs, who were excluded from the process altogether because they were deemed not to be on the same plane. They were deemed to be against it. There's in and there's out, even in
0: Aboriginal communities. We're continuing our conversation after Vision National News. We're getting right into the Constitution in just a few moments. But, Gabriel, let's take a caller, an anonymous caller, uh, who's been waiting patiently. Welcome along.
1: Good afternoon. Can you guys hear me?
0: Yes, I can. So uh, welcome. What
1: are Uh, your thoughts? Yes. Look, I'm coming from a different angle. And um, for me, it's a very personal um, matter. And um, look, I think, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, being believers and in Christ, we want the best outcome for all Australians. And I don't see Aboriginal people as separate, although I do realise that there's been a great injustice that has been done against them in the past, and I think they're still suffering a lot. Um, Those injustices need to be addressed, and it needs to be rectified. But I do not think that the referendum will be the right outcome. And um, I have various reasons for that, and my personal reason for that is that I come from a country, you can probably hear from my accent, but I come from a country that... Um, We had a referendum in the 90s, and one of the major problems in our country i came from South Africa was race. And all I know is that um, before we had the first um, election, we had a referendum where South Africans needed to decide if we wanted to give everybody a vote. And that's totally a different situation than what we're facing now. Um, The thing is that at that time... All uh, Most of the South Africans did agree that apartheid laws was not fair and we did decide that everybody should be treated equal. And being a Christian, that is honestly the, the way that we should have voted. And I don't regret voting that. And My what you're, what you're illustrating
0: wanna... here is that a vote like that in South Africa was a vote to actually create a national unity, a level of equality, and we've been talking just in the first part of our conversation about the risk that if you have a yes vote, you'll actually be voting for a wedge and division. Let's bring our guest in, uh, Gabriel Mowens. Uh, what are your thoughts for our
2: caller? Well, uh, the argument that has been made was a backward-looking argument. Yes, uh, many injustices have occurred in the past, But uh, it doesn't follow therefrom, you know, that people who are alive today, 200 years later, more than 200 years, should be asked to pay for injustices and crimes sometimes which have been committed by our ancestors. Um, The people today are very genuine. They want to protect uh, the welfare of every member of our society and they would like to enhance the quality of life of all Australians, including indigenous and non-indigenous People, but to ask Australians who are alive today to pay for the sins committed by their ancestors 200, 250 years ago is really a a backward looking argument which does not enable people to look to the future. We must look to the future and if we look at the future, we know that we have to be unified as a people. We have to treat people re- uh, well regardless of their race because it is a characteristic over which people have no control. Uh, burdens and benefits should be distributed without regard to a person's race. There must be political equality in this country. And if we achieve that, that is the best thing that we can do, not only for non-Indigenous people, but especially for for Indigenous people. Wonderful. And I want to thank our
0: caller with that South African accent and raising something very important too, and that is the migrant voice in this whole debate about yes or no. And uh, I know that listeners can hear your uh, beautiful Flemish accent, Gabriel. Uh, The migrant community, uh, they might be thinking, we came here from another country uh, we 're not feeling the same guilt burden that some might be feeling that you know when we start to talk about this uh, this emotional level of uh, you know people who are victims and uh, how do we make reparations all sorts of things like that coming from the migrant community. How do you think most migrants feel about the yes or the no
2: well, I really don 't know neil I-, I can only speak for myself, uh, but I would assume that uh uh, few uh, migrant people want to be involved in this particular debate. Uh, I'm very happy about the caller from South Africa because even though she is a migrant, she obviously wants to contribute to a very important political debate and I think that more members of the migrant communities should do that, make a tangible contribution to important societal and political debates in Australia.
0: Thanks so much to that caller. Our talk back line is open on one. 1- 800-316-316. You might have your own say. Uh, whether you're on the yes or the no side, love to hear from you. 1 800 316 316. Gabriel, let's come to our Australian Constitution. I yes. mentioned you are an expert in our Australian Constitution. You wrote the book. All well, right. So, uh, you know, I don't, you know, they build you up too much here. Yes. But this, the sense of a Constitution and Uh, Like most Aussies, probably my own understanding is not fabulous. Most Australians don't necessarily recognize what the Constitution does and what the intention is, what the Constitution builds in the unity of a nation. Give us your thoughts here around the Constitution and why it may be a dangerous thing tinkering with it.
2: Well, before I do that, I would like to say that an expert, because you have been describing me as an expert in constitutional law, an expert is a person who knows that he or she knows very little and still have a lot to learn, and that is definitely the case with regard to the Australian Constitution. Now, the Australian Constitution came into effect on the 1st of January 1901, and a milestone uh, was the referendum, uh, Aboriginal referendum of 1967. Of course, I was not in this country at that time, but it was definitely a milestone. Now, according to that uh, change that occurred in 1967, it is possible for the Parliament to make laws with regard to members of any race. Now, prior to 1967... Aboriginal people were specifically and expressly excluded uh, from that particular article of the Constitution. So the Australian Parliament is already entitled to make laws that uh, improve the lives of Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people. And that's a good thing, because eventually that will remove any impediments, uh, to getting a job, uh, to getting a a decent life. Uh, It it may be an opening for Australia to develop a uh, a colour-blind society, which is the ideal we should be thinking of as the future of Australia. So, in your
0: opinion here, our existing Australian constitution sets us up to be a nation which is one people, a colorblind society.
2: Yes, that is my argument.
0: So if there is change, that creates an opportunity for that to be uh, dismembered.
2: Yes, uh, yeah, I would say that is the case. Of course, that uh, the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, Anthony Albanese, has argued that the proposal is only a very modest proposal. In fact, on the 26th of January, which is called by some people as Invasion Day, uh, he, he said that it is a, a very modest uh, uh, proposal. To use his language, he said, this is a modest and gracious request for reconciliation by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. But, you know, whenever people start to talk about modest uh, changes, uh, they often do not realize that modest changes can have tremendous consequences which are disadvantageous to the country in which we live. And in my view, there will be a major disadvantageous consequences in that it will lead to a divided society, a society of them and us. There will be people who simply have more rights than others. The principle of political equality will be completely dismantled, eroded, and done away with. So there are groups in society that will be preferred, will have more rights than others. And that can only lead to major conflict in the future major conflict
0: in the future and yet what is promoted with the yes case and I'll just reflect on uh, some conversations I've had yes. uh, where the thought is that if Australians do vote yes they will be being a blessing to the aboriginal people because uh, as I uh, think about these things and you might remember the movie the castle Yes. Um, the vibe of it. Uh, you know, uh, there's your uh, your lawyer who's uh, reflecting on the Constitution and says, Your Honour, it's the vibe of yes. it. And uh, Aboriginal people uh, want Australians to vote yes to say, we're with you. Yes. Uh, we are your friends. Uh, we are not your enemies. We want the best for you. And so... There's something sentimental about that, uh, talking about the vibe. But as you say, uh, just reinforcing that just uh, for one moment, uh, what what you intend to say, Gabriel, is that if you go down that path, you set yourself up for major conflict into the future.
2: Well, I do not intend to say that. I do say that. Of course, and and my, my argument is a very simple one. Do we want to create a society where burdens and benefits are distributed on the grounds of a person's race? My view is that we should not go down that path because in doing so, we are dividing society uh, into different groups. There are some we will have more rights than others and that can't be good for society at large. Uh, I, I kind of like your uh, reference uh, to uh, the castle and and the rather uh, incompetent solicitor uh, portrayed <laughs> in the in that movie he talks about mabo you know whenever a question is asked of him he refers to the vibe mabo and and more mabo you know that obviously is uh, hilarious but will ultimately not help us very much in solving the major problems that uh, are confronting us in today's society.
0: Now, time is short. We've got a bunch of calls. Let's take some calls, and we'll see if we can go through some calls fairly quickly. Welcome to Carol in Queensland. Hi, Carol. Welcome.
4: Hello. How are you?
0: Very good, Carol. What are your thoughts?
4: I'm a uh, Christian Aboriginal. Um, I just want to say that um, I will be voting no, simply because I'm a Christian, and I believe... Um, for all Australia, Jesus is our only answer and we need a Christian voice in there for all of us and I'm all for peace and unity amongst us. But I just also want to say that I also understand as an Aboriginal person myself, why they want a, a yes vote, you know, because it's, um, you know, they need healing. We We need to be, you know, we are praying. We're praying for our people because they're still hurting, you know, even though the country says that, oh, we should be well, you know, we should be all past that, our history and that, and we should be all over that. And, you know, people say to us, "Um, look, I didn't do any of that to you. Well, I wasn't born back there either, but I'm in this generation and I still have experience the result of some of those atrocities that happened back then to my Aboriginal grandmother, I'm actually one of the results. But because I became a Christian and Jesus changed my whole outlook and gave me a complete new heart and attitude and helped me to forgive that, you know, I I can honestly forgive, forgive the history of our nation and forgive everything that was done to our people back then. The yes vote, you know, we need to pray for them for healing. They need to be healed. We all need to be healed of that. And a lot of sometimes, you know, we still feel like the reason why they're wanting a voice is because we feel like we don't have a voice that we're not listened to. And I'll say even on a personal level, when I talk about my own personal history, people get offended by me and say, oh, you know, you should be over that. You know, you're playing the victim. I'm not a victim. I'm a victorious in Jesus. But I can't, in a lot of cases, I can't share what the truth of my history and what, what happened to me personally. But in saying that, you know, Jesus is the only answer. And we really do need to pray. Carol, you know, I want to Jesus. thank you
0: so much. Uh, you have shared uh, a heart which reflects the hurt of what's happened in history, but also a recognition that somehow or other, unless Jesus is in the equation, unless there is something of a transcendence above the sorts of things that make us equal together, then there's not going to be any real healing. But that healing uh, I know that every listener to our conversation right now will be uh, just with you on that, Carol, and uh, just anticipating yeah. something that can break through and bring healing for those who have suffered hurt as you have. Carol, thank you so much for your call. Gabriel, do you have a quick uh, comment about
2: Carol's uh uh, Carol's thoughts? Well, she represents uh, my views very well, I must say. Obviously, Aboriginal people have to be represented in all endeavours of life, and that is why I'm happy that at the moment there are 11 Aboriginal representatives in Parliament. In fact, Aboriginal people are overrepresented in proportion to their numerical strength in society. Carol, thank you so
0: much for your call. Let's take another call. Dawn is in South Australia. Hi, Dawn. Welcome. <laughs>
5: Hi, I uh, just wanted to say something like, um, I, when I grew up, I grew up on a reservation where we had to sign permits to get in and out. We weren't allowed to meet in with, um, non-Indigenous people. So I'm not really for the voice because, like, um, I, I believe that, um, It should be just open for all, even Aboriginal people to be on that government. But it will never happen, even though the professor says that there's 11 people on there. But those 11 people may not live the life that some Aboriginal people have lived. And they're not really talking for us. That's how I look at it. And and also, I'm a Christian too. I'm a seven-day Adventist. And, you know, um, without God in our lives, we would struggle, not just me, with anybody in the world, they would struggle. The world needs Jesus. But to say that Aboriginal people argue, we don't argue. Just because someone argues, all human beings argue amongst each other. And I find that kind of a racist remark. And to the professor, I am born an Aboriginal. My great, my grandmother was a stolen generation, and she died at 100 years old, and... Um, so I'm proud of what I am, but, you know, I just think that the things that you're saying is offending some Aboriginal people, and I listen to the show every day because, you know, it preaches the Word of God, and um, but the thing is, I just think some of your stuff is not right, because you've never walked in our shoes, you come from a different country, and I'm sorry, I have to say that, so you'll never understand how we feel. And again, I am not for the voice because I think that the the people they be putting on there doesn't speak for me or my traditional family or anyone else that is out there. So my vote would be no. Want
0: to thank you for your insight there, and uh, we will all just pause for a moment and say, "Isn't talkback radio wonderful?" Because Dawn, you get to reflect an Aboriginal voice, into a conversation like this. Uh, a, a thought or two, uh, Gabriel?
2: Well, uh, there are many people in Australia who are disadvantaged, in, in indigenous people and non-indigenous people, and they have to be assistant, assisted by the government. And the government can do that as a consequence of the adoption of the 1967 referendum in the constitution. Dawn, thank you so much for your call. Let's take
0: one more call. Gary is in Campbelltown, in Sydney. Hi, Gary. Welcome.
5: Yeah. Hello. Yes. Um, I have a question. Um, it's about the Constitution, but it, I want to know if how it will be affected, or whether we'll probably want to rewrite a new Constitution if we become a republic, and how, like, will they want to rip the old one up and make a new one, and will we? If so will we still be having the same conversation?
2: I, I, I think we need another four hours of uh, talkback radio to talk about the Republic, and uh, perhaps today's discussion is not the most appropriate time to do that. Uh, yeah, t- to answer your question quickly, no, uh, yeah, it will depend on what type of Republic Australia would become. We need not necessarily rewrite the whole constitution of Australia for that purpose, but the details we will need to discuss some other time.
0: Gary, thank you so much for your call. And just before we move on from this point, because that would be a concern of some people mm. who might say this sounds like a simple, easy little change to a contrib- uh, to a constitution that may prepare us uh, a little bit like you know when you're talking about an indoctrination indoctrination around changing constitutions having referendums because of the republican push that comes from uh, within the current government and beyond uh, that it may be just something to get australians doing change a little more easily
2: yes uh, a yeah. Uh, The Constitution is a a very important document for this country. It sets out the ground rules by which we live. And uh, if you start to tinker with the Constitution, that could lead to major upheaval and major disadvantages for people who live in the country at the moment. Now, there is one other point that I should like to make. You have been talking about the voice being an advisory group to the uh, Parliament, but of course there is also discussion as to whether it should be giving advice to the executive, and the executive is the government. So if uh, it gives advice to the government, it will be able to embed itself into all governmental executive structures, which leads to a completely new uh, part of the discussion, I think.
0: And because people on that body would not be elected, uh, it means that you have entrenched ideologies that no doubt would be developed Uh, and even though you might have changing government from uh, uh, the Liberals uh, the Labor Party to the Liberals back to the Labor Party, uh, that entrenchment is going to be there continually and uh, creates all sorts of uh, uh, barriers to what you might hope your elected
2: government is able to do. Well, I don't know whether they will be appointed. You seem to suggest they will be appointed, that is, the members of the voice. They may well be elected, uh, but the question is, if uh, an election is called, uh, who will be able to be the electors? Will it be the general community or will it only be people who are members of the Aboriginal communities? Uh, It's very difficult to actually uh, define an Aboriginal person these days. Well, we do need to draw a close to our
0: conversation. And uh, my encouragement to listeners, uh, when there's a podcast of this conversation, yes. um, you might want to listen into some of the finer points that have been said. If you came late to the conversation, there were some wonderful things that were discussed early in the conversation. And there may be some people in your own community that uh, could benefit from hearing a conversation like this. And you'll be able to simply cut and paste a link for the podcast and uh, make use of it because uh, outstanding conversation over this past hour with uh, Emeritus Professor Gabriel A. Moens. Uh, Before I let you go, Gabriel, there's so many things that you've got going. You've got books coming out left, right and centre. You've got a a new book uh, which called The Foundations of the Australian Legal System. It's only just been released. Uh, What would people just expect uh, with that, uh, just very briefly?
2: Yes, uh, Foundations of the Australian Legal System, History, Theory and Practice – Uh, in that book which I have co-authored with Augusto Zimmermann a professor in Perth, we talk about uh, the Christian foundations of the common law and we talk about great jurists like for example Lord Denning who have contributed a great deal to legal science in general as a judge and as a lawyer. So it is a book that will hopefully be used by law schools around Australia but it is also a book that could be read by anyone even though they may not be lawyers, as long as they are able to read well, they would be able to benefit from their reading. Well, it doesn't sound like light
0: reading for some, <laughs> but I do know that you do like to, re- to write light reading too, and you've yes. written a number of books. You wrote one called A Twisted Choice. That's a, uh, that's a novel. A novel. You wrote one called The Greedy Prospector. Yes. And you've got a new thriller that's coming out by Christmas, doesn't have a title yet. So uh, I know listeners might like to keep an eye out. Uh, Gabriel A. Moens, you can find his books, uh, whether they be deep and legal oriented or some of these books that are novels. Yes. Uh, Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us today. I look forward to another update sometime soon because yes. uh, the voice referendum's coming. I know listeners will hear you've got wonderful things to contribute, but thank you so much for sharing your, uh, your knowledge, your insight, and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you. It's a
2: pleasure to be here.
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.